If you are sitting at home next to your radio, you're hearing the music faster than you are if you're in the hall. Listening for the secret. Searching for the sound. This is The Sound Podcast with Ira Haberman.
been listening to Small Strides from Humphrey McGee's forthcoming record, Asking for a Friend. After almost 25 years of putting out records and touring, everything came to a halt for the dudes at Humphreys McGee in March 2020 with the pandemic crushing tour plans. That didn't stop them from putting out live stream shows and a handful of drive-in shows. They also managed to continue recording songs for a new album, which you'll get to hear in its entirety next week. Asking for a Friend may in fact be my favorite Humphreys McGee record to date. It's filled with great lyrics, awesome hooks and harmonies, and truly great production. Can't wait to hear all of the tunes live. Luckily, I was able to grab some time with keyboard wizard Joel Cummins to talk about the record and a whole lot more. I guess the story probably unfortunately starts in March of 2020 with this record. It actually starts a little before that. Okay, great. Well, let's let's talk about about when 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 it starts because I know by March 2020 you were grounded and I'm sure that's when you guys put started putting pen to paper and making plans, but tell me about before March 2020. So, uh September of 2019, we booked time with Ryan Hewitt uh in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, some time at Blackbird Studio there, which is a place where he works out of quite a bit, but a pretty, pretty well-known Nashville spot. And so we wanted to invite Ryan to kind of co-produce a batch of new songs with us. And we started on Suck City, which we released as a single in the beginning of 2020. That was part of that group. And then from the uh, new songs... Uh, Dayville Monarchy and Always October, those two we did with Ryan in Nashville as well. So at that point, we kind of thought, okay, you know, we'll probably do a few more sessions with Ryan and maybe have this album done by, you know, the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021. And uh, so we, we hadn't, we made plans to kind of get back together again in, uh, in May or June of 2020. And of course had to, you know, do a little altering from that. But um, in the beginning of it, when things shut down in March, we actually, um, did our intros album, which was, you walked up shaking in your boots, but you stood tall and left a raging bull. Uh, I like to use the acronym for that sometimes, but didn't, didn't have time right now. Um, so, uh, we did, we did that actually all in, in, in our individual respective homes in our, uh, you know, little music studios. So that one was one of the first ones that we've ever done where it wasn't, you know, us um, working on things that are, as a group the whole time. So that that uh, was a different process, but it, it ended up working out well and was the perfect thing for us to do, you know, in that moment. So while we were doing that, we were kind of getting our, our ideas together to get back into the studio and, and try to keep working on new music. And we ended up um, you know, with all the COVID protocols and everything that was going on, uh, we got together for four days, I think, at uh, Boondock Studios, Jake's Place in Niles, Michigan, where we've done a lot of pre-production and songwriting before. And we basically set it up as a recording studio. And so while we were doing live streams at night, we were writing and recording and arranging stuff in the day. And so that was kind of our first uh, session there. And I remember we did we did pure saturation. We did so much. Um, I believe we did, I think we did fenced in there. I'm not a hundred percent sure though. that might've been in Chicago. Um, but we got about four or five tracks done, um, you know, putting stuff down there at Jake's place. 
Uh, that was June of 2020. And then September of 2020, we had our next round of drive-in shows. And we also had the opportunity to go in and do another webcast series from um, basically where all of our gear lived at the time. And, right. Uh, Ecto Productions in Chicago. So we set up in the round there and did the exact same thing. We did webcasts at night. And then during the day, we were you know recording and, and trying to get stuff done. So that was the uh, that was session number three, and the fourth one then, uh, February twenty twenty one at Chris Myers Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. Same thing, did webcasts at night, and you know you, you kind of get an idea of the formula. But it, we we were very excited about it because we never really considered the idea of like oh maybe we could work in the studio and then do some webcasts to go along with this, and suddenly we've we've paid for our recording time. Right. You know, right. so uh, it was a uh, at a time when income streams were few and far between. It was a uh, it was a really great discovery to figure that out. So so yeah, this was really the album's really done with all of us in the studio over four different sessions, and then um, during all these times between, we were doing overdubs and trying to come up with new parts. And one of the great silver linings of all of this was that. It gave us, you know, two and a half years to work on this record, and we just didn't have the sort of pressured timeline like we have in the past because of uh, because of COVID. So, you know, we we'd kind of originally intended to get the album out like in the beginning of this year, and a few things kept happening, and finally, you know, it was like, okay, well, if we want to give this one the proper treatment that it deserves, so that people actually hear it, we need to. We need to have a little more time to, you know, get uh, get Iris podcast on board, <laughs> uh, things like that to uh, help us promote. Uh, it's such a, a great record. And here's why. It's a rock record. Like, it's not like it's it's I don't want to say it's, it's a departure necessarily from Humphreys McGee, because a lot of those, you know, uh, lots of production, lots of keyboards from you, lots of crunchy guitar. I mean, that's all there. But it's different in that these are like short songs. Some of them are pretty catchy. Some of them are throwbacks. Like I kept thinking that th this could easily be a record that was released in 1987, maybe, you know, with a lot of the sounds, 85 or 87, a lot of the synth sounds from you specifically. Um, there's some Van Halen hooks. There's, there's lots going on that seemed very familiar to me, but Oh, and there's there's a there's a yacht rock song. Is that uh... New Wings? Maybe is that what you? Yeah, said? New Wings. That's yeah. McCartney. Yeah, I get it. That's and I read uh -huh. later that uh -huh. it was Wings inspired. Was that the attempt just to make a rock and roll record? Like, what was the? You guys are always about thematic records, but this doesn't seem to be that. This seems to be a rock and roll record, if nothing else. Uh, you know, one of the phrases that has kind of been used a little bit for some of these songs is it's got a little more of a dream pop vibe yes. and there's a lot of this sort of um you know airy texture stuff that's going on throughout and a lot of the keyboard things um are sort of related there's there's a lot of piano hooks in there these you know big octave uh whole note things that are happening that um that i think kind of really tie it together and so when we got started with this, we were talking about, okay, what are, what is kind of the sound here? And so 
it, it's definitely, you know, there's there's certainly that typical 70s influence, but it's got a little bit more of an 80s vibe. And, you know, I think the other thing is that it doesn't have as much of like the crazy, intense, distorted guitars. Uh, Ordinary Times is probably the heaviest tune on there. Yeah. And then the rest of it is kind of dance here. You know, it's got these like really nice, you know, beautiful, clean guitar sounds from Jake. He's got some of his solos, of course, that, you know, get a, employ a little more distortion than some of the other things. But um, yeah, the, these songs seem to really fit together in a very organic way. Um, yet at the same time, I don't think there's anything where it's like, oh, this is basically the same song. That's not the case either. Yeah, no. you know? Um, and you know, Brendan really had a long time to, uh, to work on the, the lyrics and, and the harmonies and stuff. And, you know, there are a couple spots I got to, uh, I, I, I added some, uh, some vocal harmony ideas and some arrangement stuff. Um, there's a spot in, uh, how much, or, uh, sorry, no, not how much, what is it called? Um, so much. How about now? How about now? Oh, That's okay. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, where it's it's just me singing all the background stuff so that's kind of funny you know when that happens i'm like hey it's a it's a choir of joels here you know <laughs> um lucky for us scapegoat uh if i'm not mistaken i think that's the song is very yes. pink floyd very very uh very reminiscent it's got that you know the the guitars with delay all over the place yeah. just super saturated and from um, like yeah, yeah, right. That one kind of has a um, a little bit of that vibe, and then it's also, it, you know, it kind of feels like a uh, a dancey club tune to me too. There's so many synths on that, and um, you know that that was one that we started a long time ago, and we kind of we had some extra time left at one of the recording days, and we were talking about what we sh what should we do, and that actually just popped in my head. I was like, oh. If you guys listen to this lately, let's go back to that, you know? Um, so we just have a, a constant pile of things that we've considered or said, maybe at some point this song will fit in with what we're trying to do. And so we finally found that moment with, uh, with the scapegoat. And, you know, it was cool because a lot of the original parts that I had written for Keys, I did use and were still in there. But then I added a, a, a lot of, a bunch of other stuff in there that wasn't in the originals. So... You know, again, a testament to just kind of taking your time with the creative process. You know, you mentioned all these synths, and we, we talked a bit about the 80s sound to some of this. How much did Doom Flamingo and Stasic have influence over over the sound of some of this record? Um, you know, I mean, I, I love uh, everybody in Doom Flamingo except for uh, the bass player. So, um, you know, Perfect. huge, huge influence. No, I mean, you know, I was in... Um, uh, Doom Flamingo uh, is is a fantastic band, and you know Ryan will tell you uh, he kind of got the idea from uh, from our uh, side project I had with Chris Myers uh, and a couple other guys, Digital Tape Machine. So, you know, we were in the electronic game for uh, for a while there, yeah. and then uh, decided to pass the torch. You know, we 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 got in and got out, and uh, now you know. Ryan is out there playing four shows a day. I mean, I don't know how he does it, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, but uh, but no, it's 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 one of those things that's always kind of been there with the Umphrey sound. I mean, maybe not always. I guess Triple Wide was really the first sort of foray into more electronic stuff, and that was on one of my um, was on one of my solo albums that uh, that Jake ended up playing a lot of drums and bass on and. Um, 
and we ended up recording the original triple wide i think while we were on the road with a day off and jake had an acoustic guitar and andy had his little mpc thing and i set up you know we we got the roads out and set it up in a kitchen and uh and worked on that one so you know, I, I think the electronic sound is something that's been there in the, uh, you know, in the Umphreys catalog for a long time in various, various ways. Triple Wide, Wabi Sprayberry, Miami Virtue, Semwalk 2, um, you know, to name a few. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, this, this album with Small Strides and a Scapegoat, I feel like we're going to have two really fun, new, strong electronic tunes to, to, to kind of have in the repertoire and, um, you know, just the other night at Red Rocks, we did a little improv in small strides for the first time. So that was also an exciting moment. I was going to ask about uh, Red Rocks and if playing that venue ever gets old. Uh, I was listening back to some of it for we produce a live show every Wednesday where I play highlights from touring musicians like yourselves from Nugs. And I was listening back to Red Rocks and I, and I can't help but think that you guys not just you, but everybody just has tons more fun at Red Rocks than, than anywhere else. How, how do you not? I mean, you know, there, there's a reason that Polestar changed the best outdoor venue of the year award to the Red Rocks award. Right. You know, Red Rocks is kind of the Michael Jordan of venues. Yeah. There's just nobody that, you know, when it comes down to the clock, like Jordan's always going to win. That's just what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is just the best. And, and a huge part of it is also that it, it's kind of a, you know, a bit of a mecca for music fans. And anybody who goes to see a show there, it's just it's so easy to play well because, you know, on the scale of one to ten, everyone's already on an eight before you've played a note, you know. Right. Yeah. So it, it's pretty cool. Now, I, I got to say, though, this weekend, too, we also played two other venues the Dillon Amphitheater and the Ford Amphitheater in uh, Dillon and Vail, respectively. And those two are also amazing. I mean, yeah. the, the the crowd's view at the Dillon Amphitheater, I can't tell you how many pictures my friends sent me. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, you're not going to believe how cool this looks. So Colorado is just blessed with a plethora of amazing outdoor options. You know, the Mish is another one that comes to mind up by Fort Collins little bit smaller spot but that that place is phenomenal too so um yeah we had a great time i think we were all super inspired and ready to play we had a lot of fun and uh you know we're, we're gonna come back and and do it again next year i think we might actually do the exact same thing playing dylan a couple nights at red rocks and then veil awesome awesome i'm sure fans are psyched you guys have always sort of been on the cutting edge of giving your audience exciting new ways to take in or be a part of the Umphreys McGee sound or, or situation, whether it was headphones and snow cones, UM bowl, um, you know, umlive.net. You've always been on the cutting edge on, on, on really doing these really cool things for your audience. And one of them is an opportunity that's coming up now with the launch of the NFT, which is very cool. Um, can you talk a bit about, how you guys got involved in an Umphreys McGee NFT and, and what folks need to do to get to get on board? So um, this would be a much better question for Kevin Browning, I will admit. <laughs> Fair. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I what I do know is that we're going to be creating a bunch of cool, very specific, you know, pieces of art and, and music that'll be tied in with the album that... Uh, 
that will be kind of launching into the space. So uh, we've done a couple smaller things. I know uh, when Jake did his broadcast last year, they did some NFT related things with that. But, um, you know, I, I think the, uh, the the biggest part of it is just getting in, um, getting in this game and, and having, much like we always do, having fun with the technology and using it in a way that can help us connect better to our fans. So that that's always the goal with these sort of things, um, is to kind of humanize whatever the technology is that we're that we're using. Um, so so that it's something that you know will create something special that uh, that hopefully the the fans that you know that buy these things will uh, will be really excited about and know that they have something unique and that this was the uh, you know the one time they could get something for asking for a friend. How big has this thing gotten since, you know, 24 years ago, May, where, you know, you released your first album? Um, how big has Umphreys McGee, the Umphreaks, the whole thing gotten in your eyes? I mean, from, from a 40,000-foot view, you are making your mark as an independent artist and, and doing a pretty good job of making a living. But it's it's way more than just a living at this point, right? It is It is sort of a... A lifestyle a thing like you are a member of this huge creation <laughs> yeah i know I, I don't think about it that way very often you know we're we're very much so always just focused on what's in front of us and you know making sure that we keep delivering uh you know good live music and and good performances and and good studio releases things like this so um you know, it just, it kind of, uh, it, it is who we are. And I think we feel very comfortable in that space now. Um, you know, we just had a great four week run here from summer camp to um, Fool's Paradise in Florida to our, our four shows with the Biscuits and now our Red Rocks run. And so to be almost 25 years in and have an album of completely new material that we're learning and that we're debuting live and, you know, we just played... Um, uh, the aforementioned so much last night live for the first time and got a great crowd response from it, which I don't think we were really anticipating. I was one of those where like, yeah, it's kind of a little bit more of a mellow song. I don't know if people be into it, but, um, you know, I thought there's also kind of like 10% chance this is going to be a really good sing along live. And that's how it felt last night. It was, it was really exciting. Um, so Honestly, it feels like, um, you know, we're kind of coming out of the uh, the COVID haze and, and to have a new album and all of these uh, all of these shows coming up this summer that uh, that that we get to play at mostly like amazing venues. Um, it feels like we're, we're kind of, you know, firing up the uh, the engines again and, and getting this thing uh, rolling back at 100 percent. So. Um, to me, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at, and it's it's awesome to take, like you said, to look back and take the forty thousand foot view of uh, of where we are. But we also always feel like there's there's more work to be done, and you know we're we're not satisfied with where things are either. Have you road tested? You you mentioned small strides, at, at least playing part of it at Red Rocks. Has there been any other tunes that you've road tested, or is is the goal really to get people to listen to the record and then? Familiar, familiarize themselves with the new songs and then sort of slowly introduce those into the into the set so we've we've done uh four of the 14 new ones live so far we've been playing i don't know what i want since that came out yep. um i want to say early february or so 
but uh, Small Strides, and then we debuted New Wings and So Much this weekend. Um, and I'm sure we would be playing more of them, but honestly, it's um, this is the downside to taking two and a half years to make a record is that we've added so many parts that you know we 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 then break these songs down to how are we going to play them live and we're like oh my gosh can you you know it's like can you play and sing that at the same time so there's a lot of sort of muscle memory that needs to be built up and you know as we talk about it's like just giving these songs reps before we play them live so we're pretty close on uh Dayville Monarchy right now that one will probably be the uh the next one and then i think we've talked about uh, Scapegoat, Pure Saturation, Fenced In, and Always October is the uh, the next four that we're going to try to start uh, cracking away at and hopefully have uh, in the rotation by the middle of July. So, you know, we we tried to uh, start working on these early, and we, we actually started playing a few of them back, like in the practice room in January and February. And, you know, how things go, it's like, we, we play a different show every night and so much of our time rehearsing is working on whatever we're going to do that night. So we actually added rehearsals earlier in the afternoon that were just dedicated to working on new material since we still have so much to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping by like mid August, we'll have all this stuff in the rotation, but it's challenging to get 14 new songs in a regular rotation, you know? especially when you have such a huge catalog that your fans rely on for, for excitement at, at shows, right? I mean, you can't not play the quote unquote hits. You have to play what fans are coming to expect to see, right? Yeah. You want to, you know, I, I mean, I think we've always done a really good job of, uh, of mixing things up and playing old songs, playing new songs. That's somebody made, I don't remember um, what this was, but somebody did a huge thing of like, Every uh, every band that was touring in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen something right, mm -hmm. and and looked at all of their shows and all of their songs that they played, and then did you know put them into some uh, you know computer formula, and it came out that of all the bands touring uh, in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, we had the most so like the most uh, variety of everything that was happening so. Um, so that made me feel good because I think that's the big challenge, you know. You, you obviously, in the jam scene, have a lot of fans that are coming back to see you multiple times. Yeah. So the last thing you want to do is have a show where they're like, that was just like the last one. <laughs> you know, you want it to be different. And sometimes maybe it won't be quite what they were hoping for or quite as good. But sometimes, you know, it'll be like, oh, my God, I saw them play last time. I thought that was the best show. How is tonight better? So... That's that's always the goal, right? Uh, with all this touring and practicing, how's your golf game? <laughs> you know, in about 2010 or so, I uh, I one of my one of my friends who is a ski instructor uh, and just a really great skier um, was basically asking me like, you know, do you want to get better at this? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And uh, by about 2013. Um, my skiing addiction had overtaken my golf, uh, my golf addiction. And so, you know, by like March or April, I was usually playing golf back in the day. And now I'm like, how late can we ski till? So, you know, I've been getting like 25, 30 days in a year skiing. And I just had my first round of golf at uh, Windstone Country Club in Chicago. You know, I'm like a probably 15 or 16 handicap at this point. 
Um, I mean, I guess 94 isn't terrible on a, it was a Jack Nicholas course, right. you know, so, and it was, there were like 30 mile an hour gusts that day. It was crazy windy. So, you know, we were getting killed by that, but like the wind was affecting the putts. That's how windy it was. <laughs> Got to play the wind. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm hoping, uh, I think I'm bringing my golf clubs this weekend up to, uh, Electric Forest Fest in Michigan. Cool. Um, we stay right on a course there. So I'm, I'm going to work on the game a little bit while I'm up there. Spoken like a true golfer, always has an excuse why he shot a 94. That's excellent. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, dude. Really appreciate it. The album is really, really great. And I uh, can't wait to hear more of it live. Take care, all right? And thanks for doing this. Well, we, we appreciate you sharing it with everyone. Take care, Anna. Tour dates, merch, and more are available at umfreeze.com. Before we leave you, let's listen to another track off of Asking for a Friend. Here is the instant classic, New Wings.
You've been listening to The Sound Podcast. Technical production by Adam Karsh and Andrea Ruse. Inspired by the music we love. For more, visit thesoundpodcast.com.